Podmoth. Do you see dead people? Not because you're a Bruce Willis superfan, but because visits with Gma got a little weird after her funeral. Are you often up at 3 a.m. googling the various ways in which bodies decompose? But you swear it's just harmless research. Are you the first of your friend group to go on a murder tour or rent a haunted location for the night? Then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to the Identity Podcast. protein powders that give me a little extra boost. There are mornings when I just can't get up and eat a huge breakfast, so I make a protein shake instead, and the powders I got from Unico Nutrition hit the spot. There are so many delicious flavors. Vanilla ice cream milkshake, ooey gooey frosted cinnamon roll, spoonful of peanut butter with chocolate, Aunt Judy's banana cream pie, molten chocolate lava shake, cookies and cream dream, and candy shop caramel squares. They even have a birthday cake cupcake with rainbow sprinkles. Unico Protein Powder for women and men is the perfect guilt-free indulgence. Use the low-carb protein shakes for faster recovery after workouts, healthier snacking, or even as a meal replacement. The powder itself is so fine that it blends seamlessly into milkshakes and mixes for baked goods, and Unico has a bunch of recipes on their website for delicious donuts and keto-friendly cinnamon rolls, to name a few. Unico's everyday wellness supplements help replenish essential nutrients and help you live your best life. Trim down and tone up with Unico's best-in-class supplements for weight loss, carefully formulated with five patented all-natural ingredients to help you achieve your healthiest physique. Right now, listeners of the Identity Podcast can save $20 on their purchase at uniconutrition.com. Just head on over to their website and use code IDENTITY at checkout. That's O-D-D-E-N-T-I-T-Y. Say goodbye to chalky, tasteless protein powders and supplements that fall flat, and say hello to Unico Nutrition. It's like a bunch of unicorns are having a rave in your mouth. Seriously. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Identity Podcast on the Podmoth Media Network, your weekly foray into the weird, wonky, and sometimes downright spooky. This week, with Halloween fast approaching, I dug through the archive of listener-submitted stories and came up with some real doozies. Some contributors have asked that I not use their real names, and some names have been omitted from the stories that you're about to hear to conceal the identity of those involved, as there was no way to get permission from them. I hope you enjoy the compiled spooky stories, and I hope your Halloween will be full of fright and delight. 
Before we get started, I'd like to thank everyone who took the time to submit their personal experiences to me. It's hard to come forward with this type of information because there's so much doubt surrounding paranormal experiences, and I appreciate the courage it took to let me share these with the podcast community. Episode 12 is fast approaching and features an unforgettable interview with Michelle Ballanger. It was all I could do to fangirl my way through this interview, and Michelle was such a gracious and wonderful interviewee. The interview will bring season six to a close. Next season will be shorter, six episodes, and episodes will drop bi-weekly, but the format will stay the same. Twelve episodes per season can be a little stressful, particularly when I tackle complex topics like Jack the Ripper that require three episodes to touch on everything. Rest assured that you'll still be able to get your spooky on with the Identity Podcast. I hope to continue making videos featuring my odd collection as well, so stay tuned for those. I'd also like to let you all know how much I appreciate your support and continued subscription to this podcast. You've got a lot of choices in terms of spooky and weird, and you choose to listen to me wax poetic about all things odd and macabre. I appreciate your continued support. And now, on with the show. Emma, Bolivia. I grew up in La Paz, Bolivia, in a very old house. It was inherited by my parents from my grandparents and they inherited it from their grandparents for several generations. It was always spooky, and I would hear weird sounds at night like the sound of someone walking around on very creaky floors or scratching on the walls. In the kitchen, there was a window called a coffin window that was always locked tight. My father had put a screw in it to keep it from being opened accidentally and one of us kids falling out. My brother was five years younger than me. I was 12 at the time. I'm sure he was worried about my brother because they wanted to keep an eye on him and didn't want him wandering off out onto the roof. The coffin window was on the angle of the roof, and I was told that the coffin window, or witch window, as my grandmother told me, was for just in case someone died upstairs and they had to take the body out. One night, I remember I woke up because I heard a creaking noise outside my room. I got out of bed and walked to my bedroom door and put my ear against it. It sounded like someone was opening the witch window and closing it again. I cracked my bedroom door a little and saw that the window was closed. I went back to bed. A few hours later, I woke up again to the same noises. Again, I looked outside the door but this time I saw my brother in the hall. I asked him why he was there, and he said he heard someone calling him, and when he got to the hall, he saw someone going out the witch window. I told him to go back to bed, because it looked like the window was closed, and I thought he was having a nightmare. He went back to bed, but I went to the window to check it. When I tested it, the window opened easily. It was not screwed shut. I leaned out slightly and looked along the edge of the roof. I could hear scratching and scurrying sounds, but couldn't see anything. I leaned out a little further, and when I did, I caught sight of a dark figure crawling along the roof. It moved like a spider, 
but was the size of a man and disappeared over the top of the roof. I pulled myself back through the window quickly and slammed it, locking it, and then ran to my bed and pulled the covers over my head. I told my family, but nobody believed me. I still have nightmares about whatever it was. Edward, California. On Halloween night in 1993, my friends and I went to what we considered to be the rich part of town. We live in California, and the bigger houses in the rich areas always give out the best treats. It was getting later, and some of my friends, ten of us went in all, said they had to go home soon. We went out together, so we decided that we'd go home together as well. At around 9.30, we walked up a long driveway to a big house in Pasadena. There were pillars and a fountain in the yard. We all lived in small apartments, so this house was really impressive. We knocked, but we didn't get an answer. Then we saw a bowl on a chair with a sign saying to help ourselves. There were full-size candy bars and cans of soda. We each took what we wanted and headed back down the driveway. When we got almost to the end, we heard rustling in the bushes on the other side of the fence. We all stopped as we were startled, but we figured it was the homeowner trying to pull a Halloween trick on us. After a few seconds with no other sound, we kept walking. We then heard laughing and saw three guys come out of the bushes and go get into a parked car on the side of the road. I guess they got out to take a piss in the bushes. In the light of the street lamp, it looked like they had blood on them and their clothes, but it was Halloween, not out of the ordinary. We found out later that there had been a murder just up the street, and the guys getting back in the car had done it. I guess eight boys were coming back home from a Halloween party and were shot by gang members because one of the boys had a blue bandana in his pocket. I think three boys were killed outright, and the guys that did it, the ones that me and my friends saw, got caught. I'll never forget that Halloween. My parents were reluctant to let me go trick-or-treating the next year because of it. Liam, New Mexico. This is my first time writing in, but I'm a long-time listener of the show. I wanted to write in specifically for your Halloween episode because the experience I have to tell you about takes place on Halloween. On my ninth birthday, my grandmother passed away. I remember everyone was mourning and the festivities of my birthday had to be put off. My family is Irish and came over from Ireland during the potato famine and they brought a lot of customs with them. When my grandmother passed, my family cared for the body directly and didn't have what you might consider a traditional funeral in America. She rested in our family home in the living room, kind of an odd place to keep a body, I'll grant you, but there it is. And mourners stopped by to drop off food and pay their respects. My grandmother was well known in the church and in the community, and so the doorbell was ringing constantly. At some point, my mother put a sign on the door telling people to just come in, so the living room filled with people, all of their eyes trained on the casket. 
The curtains in the house were all drawn, and every mirror had been covered with a shroud. My mother was superstitious, and believed that, had the mirrors not been covered, my grandmother's soul wouldn't make it to heaven and become trapped in the mirror. After the mourners had left, my mother took care of closing the casket lid and draping a white sheet over it. I watched from around the corner. The whole affair had made me nervous, and I wasn't sure if I'd be able to sleep with a dead body in the house. My father tried to calm me, telling me that my grandmother's soul had gone on to a better place and that this was just a shell and wouldn't hurt me. I had more questions about why people were bringing food for a shell, but I was hushed and told to go to bed. In the middle of the night on October 31st, I woke up suddenly because I'd heard someone calling my name. I sat in the dark listening for a long time, but didn't hear anything amiss. I laid back down, pulling the covers back up to my chin, and began to drift back to sleep. Just before I drifted off, I heard my name again, louder this time and more insistent. I got out of bed and made my way into the hallway. Somebody was whispering my name from downstairs. I could hear the sound drifting up the stairwell. I honestly assumed it was my mother calling me for some reason. When I made my way down the stairs and into the living room, I froze. One of the mirrors in the living room had lost its shroud, and in the mirror I could see my grandmother's face looking out at me. It was gray and slack, her mouth hanging open. I woke up on the floor in the living room, my parents standing over me and looking confused. They praised me for being so brave and coming down to spend time with Grandma, but I was terrified. To this day, I don't know if I saw my grandmother or not. I just remember her unsmiling face, looking back at me from the mirror. Lucas, Spain. This happened when I was 12. My friends and I went to a nearby cemetery to try and see ghosts. We were 12 and stupid. That's my only explanation. It was after hours, so we snuck in through the back gate, careful to avoid the night watchman. My friends had brought candles and a talking board to try to communicate with the spirits, along with a bag of junk food to consume while we did so. My childhood friend Olivia, we'd been friends since we were able to walk, held my hand tightly as we followed the group, watching for tombstones so we wouldn't trip. We stopped at a mausoleum by the tree line, far enough away from the guardhouse and close enough to the trees that we would be almost invisible to any onlookers. The name on the mausoleum was Solomon, and the date was 1849. My friend James, the one who suggested we go to the cemetery in the first place, sat on one of the stone steps and worked to light the candles, heating the bases so that the candles would stand upright on the steps. My other two friends, Alonzo and Mia, got out the board and the snacks and set up a tape recorder that they said was to catch voice phenomena. We all sat in a circle, each putting our fingers on the planchette and took turns asking questions. I felt uneasy almost immediately because I didn't want to get caught, and I thought the candles would give us away, but I tried to participate as best I could. Olivia seemed really into it, and I wanted to stay for her. 
I asked when the person had died and whether they'd give us a sign that they were there with us. Out of the corner of my eye, I sensed movement and started to get up thinking it was the watchman. But when I looked full on in that direction, I didn't see anyone. I brushed it off as a trick of the low light. We continued asking questions, going around the circle, when I thought I saw the shape again. It was large as a man, but looked like only a shadow. Again, when I looked in that direction, there was nothing there. By this time, I was nervous and asked Olivia if she wanted to go. We'd been there for about an hour and hadn't gotten any answers at all. She agreed and we got up to leave. I walked Olivia home and then walked home myself, heading to bed and drifting off to sleep quickly. In the morning, my mother woke me saying that Mia was on the phone. I went to the kitchen and picked up the receiver. Mia had called because she'd listened to the recorder and heard something weird. I said I'd go over to her house after lunch. When I arrived, Mia invited me in and we went to her room where she'd set up the recorder on her desk with a headset connected. She listened first and adjusted the volume, then handed me the headset. I had to listen to the recording several times, but it sounded like when I asked when the spirit had died, the answer was 1849. When I asked if they would give me a sign, there was a kind of buzzing sound. Mia told me that this was about the time I started acting strangely. That was about the time I began to see the shadow figure. None of my friends got an answer to their questions. Charlotte, Salem. I grew up in a haunted house in Connecticut, so I expected the same environment, if not more active, when we moved to Salem. In my old house, objects would move on their own, and I'd see shadow people around the house. From what I could tell, there were two spirits in the house, one a motherly type and the other a small child. When I moved with my family to Salem, I was pretty sure that I'd see things immediately. I've always been kind of sensitive, and houses have always spoken to me in one way or another, so it wasn't an outlandish assumption. For months, nothing happened. We unpacked and I started school while my mother started a new job that we'd relocated for, and my father worked on a few issues that the house had. He painted the trim and rebuilt an old shed on the property. One fall evening as we sat watching the news, I felt a sudden chill, so I went to my bedroom to grab a sweater or a blanket. I tore my room apart looking for a throw that my mother had knit for me. It was pale blue and had been a birthday present, but I couldn't find it anywhere. I settled on a hoodie instead and went back downstairs. The following day, my mother was looking for a necklace that her mother had given her, but it was nowhere to be found. She asked me if I'd borrowed it. I said I hadn't. My father started to lose tools. A circular saw one week and a box of nails the next. Some of my books disappeared, and my mother started losing kitchen items like bowls and cutlery. We all felt like we were going insane because we were the only ones in the house, and we kept asking each other if we knew where something was, only to get a no answer over and over and over again. 
One day after school, I came home to a bunch of police cars in the driveway. My parents wouldn't tell me the whole lot at the time, but my mother did tell me that my father had come back from the hardware store to find a guy in our backyard trying to break into the shed. He confronted the man, but the man ran off. My father called the police, and when they got there, they did a search to see if they could find the guy. They noticed a spot around the side of the house where some of the decorative lattice had been moved aside under the deck. When one of the officers shone his flashlight in there, he saw blankets and a bunch of other items under there. He pulled out my blanket and a lot of kitchen stuff that my mom was missing. None of my dad's tools were found. They said it was likely that the guy sold those off. There were also bags containing food and bottles of water. The man was eventually caught trying to sell the circular saw that he'd stolen, and as far as I know, went to jail. My parents immediately installed a security system and changed all the locks as there were no signs that anyone had ever broken in. We moved a couple of years later when my mom got a promotion, but I'll never forget that house or what happened there. Frankie, Maine. My spirit guide has kept me out of trouble since I was pretty young, and I've always had that little voice in the back of my head telling me to stay away from situations that might be dangerous. For example, when I was four, I went looking for my father at our lake house. My mother wasn't awake, and I let myself out of the cottage and went down to the water. I walked to the end of the dock and stopped. My mother found me ten minutes later just standing there. She told me that when she asked me what I was doing, I said I was looking for Dad, but someone told me not to walk any further. Of course, I was four, so I'm sure I wasn't quite as articulate as that. Throughout my life, I've had similar experiences where my guide has kept me from harm or danger. One incident in particular stands out. My friend's dad was big into his speedboat. On weekends at the cottage, we'd hear him racing back and forth on the lake from morning until it got dark. One Saturday, I was hanging out with my friend, and his dad came to ask me if we wanted to go with him on the boat. My friend was excited and ran down to the dock to climb aboard, but I was hesitant. Something told me not to get on board that boat. I really wanted to go, but I suddenly felt very sick. I told my friend that I'd wait until he got back, and I sat on the dock with my feet in the water. I watched as the boat sped away, feeling a little sad that I wasn't going with them. Eventually, my parents came to collect me, as it was getting later, and I went back to our cabin with them. Our cabin was just down the street, but before we got there, several emergency vehicles sped past us. My parents and I ran back to my friend's cabin, as it seemed like they were heading there. When we got there, my friend's dad was being loaded into an ambulance, and my friend was being examined by an EMT. His dad had hit a rock going very fast, and both of them had been tossed out of the boat. My friend's dad had hit his head, and my friend had broken his arm. Nobody was killed, thankfully, but if my guide had not told me to stay on the shore, I could have been seriously hurt. I'm now 53, and I still get messages from my spirit guide. It continues to keep me safe.
Leanne, Minnesota. I want to start this email by saying that I don't believe in ghosts, but strange things have happened in my house since I bought it 10 years ago. I often hear voices when there's nobody else but me in the house, and objects move around on their own. When I purchased the house, the realtor, who was a friend of mine, told me that a couple had died in the house, but I told her that I wasn't deterred by the news. Bad things happen. That doesn't mean that the house is haunted. This story is from 2014. I just bought some new wood to replace some planks on my deck because they were rotten and had just stowed the wood in the garage when I heard the phone ringing inside the house. I closed the garage and took the back stairs that led from the deck into the kitchen. By the time I got inside, the phone had stopped ringing, but it smelled like someone had just been in my kitchen smoking a cigar. I could even see the faintest hint of smoke in the air. I live alone, and cancer runs in the family, so I don't smoke. There are no smokers in my family, and nobody else was in the house. I checked from the top floor, it was three stories with a walk-in attic, to the basement, and I found no one. The house was empty. I experienced this several times over the course of a month. Another time, I woke up to the sound of someone knocking on the front door. I know the difference between the front and the back door because the front door is solid mahogany, but the back door is fiberglass. I got up and went downstairs. I couldn't see anyone through the large glass panels on either side of the door, not even a shadow on the porch, and I always keep my porch lit at night. When I got to the door, I looked through the peephole. There was nobody there. I couldn't hear anyone on the porch. There was no movement on the street, no cars nothing. I went back to bed, but before my head hit the pillow, the knocking came again. It was heavier this time, more insistent. Again, I went down to see who could be knocking, but again the porch was empty. This happened off and on for several weeks, and then just stopped. That's the case with a lot of the phenomena that I experience in this house. It'll happen for a couple of weeks or a month, and then it'll never happen again. One day I came home from work and smelled smoke. The smell was so strong that you'd think the entire house was on fire. Of course, I called the fire department because I couldn't stay in the house because of the smell, and I worried that maybe there was fire in the walls or something. The firefighters who arrived checked the entire house but they couldn't find any fire, and they couldn't smell any smoke. I could still smell it strongly, and it made me cough. They recommended that I open the windows and air the house out, as they could see nothing wrong. On a bright summer day as I baked in the kitchen, I kept misplacing items. Cooking utensils, spices, my apron. Whenever I'd set something down, it would be somewhere completely different when I found it again. It took me two hours to make a batter for oatmeal cookies. I wanted to add raisins, but I got them down from the cupboard, set them on the counter, and never saw them again. I love my house and would never dream of moving. Despite the activity, the place is my home. I've asked my realtor friend if she has any information about the people who died in the house, but she said that she only knows that they died close together, 
the wife passing first and the husband a few months later, and that the husband worked for the city. No additional information. Ted, Colorado. My grandfather and I were really close. We had a lot in common and shared a name. When he died, I was heartbroken. He'd had some medical issues over the last few years of his life, and the end had come fairly quickly. It wasn't a surprise when he passed. On the day that he died, I wasn't able to get to the hospital to say my goodbyes because I was at work and couldn't get away. There was a major project concluding. I work in IT, so I had to be at work to make sure there were no connectivity issues. When I got home, my wife told me that my grandmother had called to let us know about funeral arrangements and a special evening planned in honor of my grandfather's military participation at the Legion. He was being remembered along with several others in his platoon. That weekend, we attended the memorial at the Legion and my grandfather's funeral. It was a small affair, a few friends, but mostly family. I remember being depressed because I hadn't had time to visit him in the hospital to say goodbye, and I went to bed that evening feeling emotionally exhausted. I fell asleep on the sofa after dinner. I woke up at around two in the morning feeling like there was someone else in the room. My wife had gone up to bed and the house was dark except for the small light over the stove. As my eyes came into focus, I realized that someone was sitting in the chair across from me. I felt a panicked feeling settle into the pit of my stomach, and I got up quickly, stumbling backward and reaching for the light on the side table to my left. Instead of turning the light on, I knocked it over and it smashed on the floor. When I looked up to see where my potential intruder was, I realized that he was still sitting in the chair. The more I focused on his face, the more it came clearer. It was my grandfather. I felt the most overwhelming feeling of peace come over me, and I sat back on the sofa just staring at him. He didn't say a word, but I could sense that he was at peace. He was smiling at me, the way he always did, and I got a sense that he'd come to let me know that everything was okay and he was in a better place. As I sat there, he began to disappear until I couldn't see him anymore. My wife, no doubt hearing the crash from downstairs, came into the room to check on me. I didn't tell her what I saw, only that I'd knocked the lamp over in my sleep. I was never a believer of the paranormal, but I certainly am now. That's it for this week, dear listeners. Thanks to all who submitted their encounters for this week's episode. Tune in November 9th for more tales of the creepy, weird, and paranormal. Until next time, stay spooky. The Identity Podcast is brought to you on a weekly basis by host Janine Mercer. The podcast is written, produced, and edited by Janine Mercer, unless otherwise stated, and the music is provided by GarageBand. Find The Odd Pod on Twitter and Instagram at IdentityPod and Facebook as The Identity Podcast. You're welcome to email suggestions for future episodes to TheIdentityPodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like a transcript of this episode, one will be available at TheIdentityPodcast.wordpress.com. 
please take a moment to leave a five-star review on iTunes. And if you haven't already, please make sure to mash that subscribe button to be sure you're in the know when a new episode drops. Sincerest thanks to all that have promoted the Identity Podcast to their family, friends, and coworkers. Every little bit helps.